0: Well, Merry Christmas. (laughs) Just delighted to have you here at Canyon Hills on Christmas Eve. Well, I'm not a a mind reader, but I believe there's probably about two things that are true about most of you right here tonight. Number one, you've been pushing hard just to get here. Amen? (laughs) A lot of things to do on Christmas Eve. And two, you're checking now your mental list of things that you still have to do before tonight or tomorrow. And so Tonight, let's just take a moment to just kind of pray this little prayer in our hearts. Would you bow with me just once more? And would you just kind of in your own heart say something like this? God, just slow me down. Right here, right now, slow me down. God, I want to connect with you this Christmas. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas, and I'm so excited here that you're making Jesus first in your life by being here tonight. You know, most of you know that we've been talking each weekend about the heart of Christmas. And last week when we talked about the committed hearts of Mary and Joseph and how their hearts were committed to the plan of God and the ways of God, even though they weren't easy at all, and they were committed to the word of God. This weekend, we talked about the courageous hearts of the shepherds and how they courageously praised the newborn Savior. And what they had seen in the manger, they went and and shared with others. And they they then began to really live for Jesus. Well, tonight, I want to finish our series on the heart of Christmas. And, And we want to talk with you about the compassionate heart of the Father. The compassionate heart of the Father. Now, when Christmas time comes, I don't know about you, but I tend to kind of go back into my childhood and and think about things that that I experienced as a kid growing up. And this week, I was thinking about my dad. And and my dad was a man of few words, but when it came to discipline, (laughs) he was stern. He meant what he said. He never backed down. He never backed up. He never eased up. Because he felt like he was giving out the punishment that I needed. And most of the time he was right for about most of us guys. Amen. (laughs) On some of us boys we needed that sternness. But this week I thought about a time when my father actually showed me some compassion. I just turned 16 years old. I had just bought my very first 1964 two-door Chevy. Anybody relate? I had just repainted it put great wide tires on the back of it with white lettering. That's what was popular back then, way back then. I had just raised the back end. I had hung brand new glass packs underneath it and new twin chrome pipes out the back of it. It had a V8. It had a Hearst three-speed shifter on the floor. Folks, it looked great. It sounded great. It ran great. On a Sunday night, as people were dismissing from our little small friend's church, they were all outside visiting. And I pulled out of my church parking lot in my brand new car. And just as I pulled out and started home, I had a friend pull up beside me in his new car. And I had this friend challenge me to a race. I had no thought of those who was watching outside the church. The only thing I was thinking about was revving my engine, dropping the clutch, and beating my friend. Amen, guys? (laughs) Only thoughts. And when the race was over, I went home, I pulled into the driveway, and I went up to my room. And by that time, I had realized just what I had done. Not only the laws that I had broken, but most of all, how embarrassed my parents must have been when they watched their son light up the tires in front of the church <laughs> and race out of town. So my, my ears were tuned and listening for mom and dad to come home, and folks, it didn't take them long. <laughs> I heard the gravel crunch under their tires as they pulled into the driveway of our farm. I heard them open the door of the house, and then I heard what could only be my dad's footsteps stomping up each step of the stairway to my bedroom soon dad opened the bedroom door man a few words that he was he just looked at me and said son hand me your keys I did (laughs) and I did quickly dad closed the door started down the stairs and then I heard him stop and come back to my door and I thought oh no (laughs) I am dead Dad cracked open the door, stuck in his head, barely looking around the door, and he said, tell me one thing, son. Did you win? (laughs) Yes. And dad just grinned and said, at least you did one thing right, son. (laughs) At that moment, dad showed me some compassion that I didn't deserve at all. Folks, there's nothing like the compassionate heart of a father. But listen, there's no heart as compassionate as our God's. Amen? As our God's. This God who put up with us. And on a daily basis, he looks at us sometimes and said, oh my. But he has a compassionate heart. Write this down. God's compassionate heart offers, first of all, forgiveness Forgiveness. And that's what my dad offered me that night. Full forgiveness. And forgiveness is why Jesus left his home in heaven to come to this home, your home on earth. God the Father sent his son to provide a way, a way to fully forgive you and me for every one of our sins. Ernest Hemingway wrote about a young man named Paco. Paco ran away from home, and he went to Spain. He, he left his father. His, his father was heartbroken. His father did everything he could to find his son, and he couldn't find his son. And so one day, the father put an ad in the newspaper, and the ad read something like this, Paco, all is forgiven. Please come home. Meet me tomorrow at noon in front of the Hotel Montana. The next day the father showed up and he found 800 young men had responded to the ad. 800 Pacos were looking for their father's forgiveness. There's nothing like the compassionate heart of God and his forgiveness. I want you to understand that God's compassionate heart tonight offers forgiveness beyond what you and I will ever understand. And if you are running from Him tonight, God wants you to come home. He wants you to come home. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter who you have done it with. It doesn't matter how long you have done it. God the Father says, I forgive you, come home. The question is, what would keep you from doing that? What would keep you from coming home to God's forgiveness? Maybe the fear of rejection. Maybe you think God wouldn't want you now. Maybe you're saying in your heart, I've done too many things over and over and over again that I know isn't right, that God would never approve of. I've drifted too far from God to ever come back now. But if that's what you're thinking... You're wrong. The Bible says nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Maybe you can turn off God. Maybe you'll turn your back on God. Maybe you've been running from God. But the love of God has never stopped chasing you. Amen. The love of God never ends. But the question is, how do you know that God wants to forgive you? Christmas proves it. The Bible says, God showed how much he loves us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. He sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Jesus came to prove his love for you. And Jesus did that by going from a cradle to the cross. Amen. That's how he proved his love for you. And the Bible says, today your Savior was born. He is Christ. He is the Lord. Christ came to save you. He came to save me. But some of you might be wondering, why do I need a Savior? Well, you need a Savior because the Bible says that heaven is a perfect place. And since heaven is perfect, nothing imperfect is allowed to be there. Because if God let imperfect people into His heaven, it would never be perfect again. Now that means that that we don't stand a chance in a jillion of getting into heaven on our own merits. By just trying to be good enough or serve enough or give enough. we We don't stand a chance. And so God had to come up with plan B. And plan B included sending this Savior. Someone perfect who could pay for all of our sins with his perfect life. Someone perfect who had the right and the authority to wash away our sins with his blood. And then prepare a place for us in his perfect heaven. And the good news is this, our Savior was born, and his name is Jesus. Amen. He's born. A little boy wrote a letter to Santa Claus. He said, Dear Santa, There are three boys in my house. Jeffrey's two, David's four, Norman is seven. Jeffrey's good some of the time. David's good some of the time, but Norman's good all of the time. I am Norman. (laughs) But the problem with that is none of us are Normans. (laughs) None of us are good all the time. None of us are perfect. I mean, if I was able to display, display on this screen behind me everything that you've ever thought, done, said you'd be embarrassed because you're not perfect. That is why you need a Savior, why I need a Savior. One Christmas card said, God didn't send us a salesman because our real need wasn't a product. He didn't send an educator because our real need wasn't knowledge. God didn't send an economist because our real need wasn't money. God didn't send a scientist because our real need wasn't technology. He didn't send an entertainer because our real need wasn't pleasure. God sent a Savior because our real need is forgiveness. The angel said, unto you is born a Savior. That means you can be forgiven. That means you can be saved from the penalty that you owe and I owe for all of our sins. The Bible says all who believe in the name of Jesus will be forgiven of their sins through His name. You just believe. You let go of your sins. You you turn your back on your sins and you place your belief and trust in Him. So how do you let Christ be your Savior? Well, you stop trying to save yourself. And instead, you believe that His perfect life has paid for your sins. That His powerful name has the right And the authority to forgive all your sins. And to save you from having to pay for your sins yourself. You put your trust in Jesus. To do that for you. You know one thing that every lifeguard knows. Is that they can't save anyone. Who's trying to save themselves. If you've ever watched a lifeguard at the beach. When somebody's drowning. They'll swim to them. But then they'll just let them. Kind of keep treading water. And bobbing up and down until they give up. And at that point, the lifeguard puts his hand over the shoulder and he swims him back to shore. It's real simple, but as long as they're trying to save themselves, they can't be saved. The truth is, God can't save you until you stop trying to be good enough all by yourself. Jesus can't save you until you stop trying to get to heaven. By just being good enough. Listen, no matter what you've done, God's compassionate heart right here tonight is offering every one of you forgiveness. Forgiveness. Amen?
1: About 700 years before Christ was born, the prophet Isaiah said the following words in Isaiah chapter 9. He said, for a child will be born unto us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We live in a world that is looking for that peace. Most of us are more familiar with tensions, with stress and anxiety than peace. Lack of peace is the result of our complex, accelerated, and stressed-out world. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes find it hard just to relax. In the midst of confusing and disheartening seasons of life, when things go haywire, when dreams are demolished, when family is fragmented, when people have pulverized us, it is hard to relax and find that peace. Our instinct as humans is to try to keep our hands in all the pieces all at once. We want to manipulate and control them and force the outcome that we desire. But God says that we should do exactly the opposite. Stop trying to force the issue and just let go. And if we don't give up striving with the problems, our interfering usually makes things worse. Perhaps you can relate to that tonight. God's compassionate heart does offer forgiveness like we just talked about, but it also offers peace. In fact, Psalms 119 verse 165 says that those who love your teaching, meaning God's teachings, will find true peace. Peace is a word that our world uses all the time, but our world doesn't really have a clue about what the true meaning of peace is. Our society doesn't have the slightest idea of what real peace is all about. And according to most studies, this is a season of stress and distress, of sadness and not gladness. And unfortunately, that means that for some, for some, peace means that drinking until you're so drunk and numb that you no longer feel your pain. For others, peace means that hopping from one relationship to another, hoping that the next person will bring about some peace in your life. But they don't. You see, they never do. For some, peace means that you stay so busy that you collapse into the bed just from sheer exhaustion and you go to sleep quickly so that you don't have to face the most important issues in your life. For others... Peace may mean overachieving so that you can get lots of stuff and prove to the world, hey, I'm somebody. But inside you know that that's not the somebody that you want to be. Folks, that is not peace. Real peace can only come from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Real peace comes from knowing that no matter what happens, that no matter what happens, that God will never stop loving you, that God will never leave you nor forsake you as his word promises, that God will always strengthen you. That is real peace. But inner peace can only be achieved when we let go of three things that can rob us from peace this Christmas. The first one is guilt. Guilt can rob you from peace. Guilt over living in a way that you know is not pleasing to God, that you know is not right, but you don't have to walk out of these doors with guilt because God says, I sent a savior to wipe away your sins. That is called forgiveness, and we just talked about that. You can be forgiven. You can replace guilt tonight with peace. And second, grief. Grief can rob you of your peace. And I know that some of you, are in major pain right now. Maybe it's because of the loss of a loved one, a parent, a spouse, even a child, or a close friend. Perhaps you got a very devastating diagnosis all of a sudden. Perhaps you recently lost your job, and you're in fear of losing your home, or are in the midst of losing that home. And you are broken, you are deeply afflicted, saddened, downcast, and dejected and you are filled with grief and it is robbing you of that peace that god wants to give you tonight if you are dealing with that grief today i want to tell you that god sees you he cares about you and never wants you to have to carry grief all by yourself never you never were meant to carry all this pain by yourself you were never meant to handle hurt on your own God says, cast all your cares upon him and he cares for you. Cast all your grief, all your pain upon God and receive the gift of peace even tonight. Third is grudges. Grudges can rob you of peace. When you hold a grudge against someone, you cannot experience peace. Now you feel guilty when you hurt others, But you feel resentful when others hurt you. But folks, you will hurt in life. That's just a fact of life, either either intentionally or unintentionally. And how you respond to that hurt will determine your level of peace in your life. So I would encourage you that for your own sake, for your own peace, that you have to let go of that resentment and that grudge. You see, resentment doesn't hurt the other person, as we all know. It hurts you. You're the one stewing and spewing while the other people are out there living their life. If you want peace, you have to let go of those grudges. In fact, Matthew eleven twenty nine says that, Learn from me, he says, you will find rest for your lives. He says, learn from Jesus. He let go of the hurtful things that were done to him. And if you let go of the hurtful things that have been done to you, you too will find rest and peace. And the result of letting go of those three things, the Bible says in Philippians 4, 7, and it says, And the peace of God, which transcends, which means surpasses, all understanding will guard your hearts, your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is a condition of freedom from disturbance whether it's outwardly or inwardly within the soul. The Hebrew word is shalom, meaning primarily soundness or health, but coming also to signify prosperity or well-being in general. And that is our hope for you as pastors tonight, that you would give a peace and receive a peace that surpasses all understanding in the midst of your chaos, or in the midst of your joy. In these days of tragedy, folks, in these days of uncertainty and war, we need to be a church that arises to a renewed hope and a peace that this season brings. So I want us to take a moment right now and to pause, and as we sing this next song, I want to encourage you to seek that peace that His Word talks about that peace that surpasses all understanding. And I ask and I pray and I encourage you that you open up your hearts and that you would be filled with God's heavenly
0: peace. All of God's people said, amen. Amen. God's compassionate heart offers forgiveness. It offers peace. And last and quickly, it offers life. Life. Here are two facts about life. The first fact is this. One day you will die. He said, Pastor, this is supposed to be positive. Well, it really is. You will die. It's not a pleasant thought, but it's a fact. When? Don't know. But here's the good part. The second fact is this. One day you will live eternally. 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 You may live 80-some years on earth, but on the other side of death, you're going to live eternally. Your body is going to die, but your spirit, the real you, will live forever in God's presence. And it's your choice or not in God's presence. In God's heaven or in hell. So listen close knowing those two facts that that death is coming and we're going to live, the real us is going to live for eternity in one of two places. Listen close. Only a fool would live life totally unprepared for something that he knows is going to happen. To know that he's going to die but not be prepared for it. You see, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. That's why the Father sent His Son To get you ready to die so you'll be ready to live forever and ever in heaven. Amen? Amen. That's why we celebrate Christmas. The the baby in the manger, Jesus, God who, who came in the flesh. Christmas is all about a rescue mission from the compassionate heart of the Father. The loving Father sent the gift of His Son to rescue you and me from a sin debt. To rescue us from a a penalty for our sin that we could never pay. The Bible says God makes us ready for heaven when we put our faith in Christ to save us. The only one who finds life will find it through trusting Christ. What we're trying to say to you tonight is, is you can find real life, real forgiveness, real peace and real life eternal through trusting Jesus Christ. And in one word, we call that salvation. Folks, salvation is a gift that you can't find anywhere except in Jesus Christ, the Savior that was born for you. He came for you. And now He's waiting for you to come to Him. And folks, there's no better time than Christmas time To connect with the Savior that has come for you. Tonight, if if you're still running from God, or if you're a Christian, you've given your heart to God, but there's just some sin issue that you've just been allowing to exist in your life, would you make this the time right here, Christmas Eve 2012, where you kind of drive a stake in the ground and say from this mark on, From this point forward, I'm going to follow my compassionate God. Amen? Would you bow with me? I invite you to turn your heart towards the compassionate heart of God. And if you've not done that, I encourage you just to pray this prayer quietly and sincerely in your heart. As I pray it, just repeat it in your heart. God hears it. And as you pray that. He'll forgive every sin, past, present, and future. He'll come and wash your life clean. He'll forgive you. He'll give a new peace to you. And you can be guaranteed of life eternally with God. Would you pray this prayer as I pray it? Father, thank you for your heart of compassion. Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you. I put my trust in you to forgive me and save me. Tonight, by faith, I accept your gift of forgiveness, peace, and life. If you prayed that prayer tonight, just say, Pastor, pray for me. Just lift up your hand wherever you are. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I gave my life to Christ tonight. Awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. You're going to have the best Christmas you've ever celebrated in your life, knowing that your slate is wiped clean. Jesus has washed your life clean. Thank you. Father, you know those who prayed that prayer. You know those who are followers of you, but they haven't been putting you first. They prayed that prayer again. And, Lord, I just pray that you'd give them an awesome sense that you know them, that you love them, that you have forgiven them, and they have life with you forever, I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.